It lies somewhere between the pit of your stomach, your racing heart, and your brain, somehow trying to keep it all together. It's an area we call the adrenaline zone. It gives a different perspective to the youth that I don't have to sell drugs in order to be respected in my community. And also, I don't have to inflict violence to be respected amongst my gang. When most people think of gangs, they visualize drug dealers, territorialism, and gun violence. However, thanks to a remarkable vision from a man named George Taylor, members from rival gangs in Wilmington, North Carolina are operating a brewery and not just a small one. That's right. They make beer together as a way to reduce gun violence in what was one of the most violent cities in the country. I'm retired astronaut Dr. Sandra Magnus. And I'm retired Navy fighter pilot Admiral Sandy Winnefeld. We're two adrenaline junkies who love spending time with people who are really passionate about pushing their boundaries as far as possible. Many thanks to our sponsor for this episode, Duncan. Slow-steeped, ultra-smooth Duncan cold brew should be at the top of any adrenaline seekers checklist. We caught up with our guest for this episode, Blanco. It's a spine-tingling interview with a member of the initial cadre at the amazing True Colors Brewery. Blanco, it's fantastic to have you with us today. I want to start our conversation by learning more about you. So tell us a little bit about where you grew up, what were you like as a young man, and about your community. Oh, definitely. I just want to say that I appreciate you all for having me. It's a great pleasure. And I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina, and I grew up on the north side of town. The north side of town was a pretty rough area. Growing up as a kid, I was just like any other kid. Our school was maybe a couple of blocks away from our neighborhood, so we would walk to and from school. It was just around those times of walking home and to school where, you know, things just started to change based on what we seen in our community. Some of those things that we used to see were violence and drugs and things like that. And, you know, around 12 to 13 is when you start to be introduced to those types of things that entice you at a young age. So that's what I would say I experienced at a young age growing up in Wilmington. So Blanc, you're a member and a leader in the Bloods gang. How did you actually evolve into becoming a gang member? Uh, legal trouble along the way? And you know what was that experience like for you? Right. So I grew up in Wilmington and we had street gangs. And those street gangs came from a bond that the kids formed. And friends that I grew up with, we were all in the same neighborhood and it went from riding bikes across town in groups to being more territorial, to just making a name for ourselves. And just that love for one another, we wanted to call ourselves something that we all could identify with. And it all started as, you know, groups to street gangs to we are identified by a certain color and we meet people who are part of national street societies or affiliations and we become aligned with that so you start kids playing together on bikes and doing things that kids do and then you said when you get to 12 or 13 the way i'm reading this is the bond becomes stronger and then you start getting exposed to sort of a greater world and that solidifies your group 
And then somehow you kind of end up getting into the gang environment. And then can you tell us a little bit about the culture and how that transition takes place? And I mean, just kind of wake up one day and you're in the middle of it, or is it a slow transition? No, it's more so on, you know, you have a bedtime and you got to be in by the street lights come on at this age. And then, you know, when you start getting 11 and 12, you get a little more freedom. So you get freedom to go explore. And sometimes some of the things that you explore have different effects on you. And like in my particular neighborhood, it wasn't a lot of good going on there. I grew up in an area of the city that was crime inflicted. So spending more time and exploring and being exposed to those different things that are so prominent in my neighborhood. That's why I say around 12 or 13, when we had more freedom to go and explore things and be involved in things, we didn't have any business. That's when some of those things started to influence us. So this discussion block is about risk. And I can only imagine that growing up Entering into the gang culture in a very poor community where there's not a lot of opportunities is just loaded with risk. And you've undoubtedly lost good friends to gun violence, which has to be a gut-wrenching experience. Can you tell us about the kinds of risks you took in that world? Yeah, definitely. And you say friends that I lost. April 25th was one of my close friends' birthday. I called him Merck Biddy. It was his birthday and it marked 10 years since he passed away due to gang violence. And these are people who you grow up with just like anyone else. And you don't plan on this part of their lives. We don't see any of this coming. But the risk that comes with being in a street affiliation or organization, you take that. Because growing up in these areas, you have to become protective of one another. We protect one another. We form that bond in a group because we want to see better for each other. And we want to stick through these tough times together and that's what forms and creates that respect and loyalty amongst each other and like i talked about earlier it's not that our actions changed because we joined a game our actions changed when we were introduced and began to be influenced by different aspects of our neighborhood that we began to be accustomed to seeing every day you know, it's interesting listening to you tell your story because I remember when I was that age, I lived in a, a dead-end neighborhood of several streets and there was a group of us same-age kids just roam around in the neighborhood, do stuff. Same thing you were doing, ride bikes. There was a lake nearby, a fishing lake. And so a lot of this is about what your norms are and what you're exposed to. So I don't think a lot of people in our country, and particularly in like areas where I grew up, predominantly white, really have a sense for how few options are available to people who grew up where you did and what you're normalizing to just because that's your environment. So you're just living your life normally and you happen to be around all of these things that you end up getting pulled into. It's, it's interesting. Exactly. And I can't speak to other people's cause, but I know mine personally. I lost my mother when I was 16. And my mother was shot and killed. And that was a very hard time in my life because my father has been in and out of prison for most of my life. And my mother left me as the oldest of her three sons. And you have family, but going through different type, times of trauma and experiencing these different things, sometimes there were my friends were the only ones who could understand or relate to that pain that I was going through. 
I remember when it happened and I got a knock at the door and my family told me that some guys were out to see me out front and they were my friends. And I'll never forget, my friends were the ones that came over and cried with me on my grandmother's porch. So when we talk about that type of bond and loyalty, yeah, gangs, there's violence in the streets that comes along with being in a gang, but there's also a part of family and a sense of loyalty and that we all share as well. And that's why I'm loyal to the guys in my organization, because we love and respect each other and we go through that pain together. Well, and this happens everywhere where people who have shared hardships become closer. And as far as the opportunities, a lot of people say, hey, this is America. The options are there. You just have to seize them, right? But it's not that easy in that environment in which you grew up. So Blanc, along comes this white guy named George Taylor. Tell us what you know about how his involvement with the Wilmington gang community began. Were you in on it from the beginning or did you hear about it some other way? How did George get tied up with with Blanc? Yeah. One day out of the blue in 2016, I just get a phone call and it's a detective. And he's like, hello, this is Detective Tully. Can I speak to Corey? I was like, hold up. Because when you get a phone call like that, it's only for a few things. You're a suspect in a crime. You need to turn yourself in for questioning. Or most cases, it's time to take the battery out of your phone and get going. But I didn't have anything going on illegally at that time. So I wanted to know why a detective was calling me. So I let him talk and I'm glad I didn't hang up in his face. He told me that there was a guy in town named George Taylor who wanted to start a brewery that would give opportunities for gang members to have a legit opportunity to start a business and decrease gang violence in the community. And that really made me take heed to the conversation. And we talk about risks and it's like my risk in wanting to know more about this is everybody in my community looks up to me and respects me because I've always put the community first and I love and care about people in my community. So the risk at that time was it could be a setup. This guy could be the police. This could be just one big scheme. But I knew that this could be a huge opportunity, not only for me, but for other guys in the streets as well. So I looked at the reward in that. And it's like, yeah, I could be risking my name. Yeah, I could be risking my respect. But the reward to see these guys have a better opportunity at life and to give their kids a better life, I'll take that any day. Duncan is made for everyone with the determination, the drive, and the guts to do something new or who wants to push their boundaries. It's the fuel for every mission, challenging pursuit or adventure. Whether you're embarking on a new journey or whether you're wrapping up your adventure, you know there'll be a Duncan waiting for you. And if it's speed you're after, order ahead and it'll be ready when you get there. It's simple. In, out, and on your way. So given those suspicions, and again, this gentleman had, George had no stake in the community like you did, and it was an incredible risk, and he didn't really understand the world that you guys were living in. So how did you guys work to build the trust between what he was trying to do and your community? Well, we got together. I got, I reached out to a lot of the people that I knew since kids who we broke off and went to different communities and neighborhoods and some represented different gangs at that time. But I still kept a good rapport with them. And I reached out to them and told them about it. And they listened to the opportunity. And one thing that we all 
agreed on is that opportunity is the greatest equalizer. Yeah, we live in this type of way and we have to endure all of these things that come with this way of living. But with this type of opportunity, we can put that behind us and come together for the greater good. And initially, those conversations with George, he was coming from a business standpoint. We're coming from community, street affiliation standpoint. But at the same time, they both met at the middle. And that's basically how it went. So, Blanc, if I remember correctly, all of this was not happening at a particularly low time for violence in this community. It was actually a higher time. Man, I mean, talk about Morris, right? At the time that I got the phone call, it was an actual war going on at that time between a few rival gangs. There were shootings almost every single day. It was a very, very tough time with violence in the city. But at the same time, my perspective on it, if you look at some of the most dangerous cities in the world, they're also some of the poorest. And I truly believe that violence stems from an economic issue. And a lot of the times, these members of these street organizations don't have a lot of business skills or financial skills, financial literacy skills. So if we insert some of that and trade out some of those skills that they do have so where they can translate into legit business, I see a huge opportunity for that. And that was what I stuck with. And I'm glad that came to fruition because at that time I had no clue if it was going to work or not, but I wanted to give it a chance. That was extremely courageous of you to take that leap of faith because of your your reputation and just what was going to mean to your community and being willing to take that risk. So what was it like, though, in the beginning when you're sitting in this room, you've got all these people who are sort of fighting on the outside, and now you have to learn how to work together? How did that all get started? Looking back on it, I'm just thankful that it got to be what it is today because back then you were just on the edge of your seat. Like we had 13 guys in the initial first group. And these guys were all leaders of their organization in a different part of the city. And these are guys that probably have never been in one room together at all. So, I mean, the tension was, could have cut the tension in the air with a knife. It was so tense in there. I mean, you had guys who were in that room that had a prior altercation with each other. I mean, the day before, So it wasn't anything that was old, like it was recent and it was new and fresh. But at the end of the day, we all have kids. We all have kids and we're all facing the same struggles in life. And that's what that class really taught us. It took all of the colors away. It took all of the past away. And if you sit across from somebody and see him for who he really is and have a conversation with him and have a form of communication with him that you might not have had the chance to have with it not being for true colors. Blanc, were there any key moments in that ever so important first cadre of people coming together that actually brought you together? Yeah, because you have different personalities. I mean, you got some people who are real reserved and you got some people who are outspoken. So it was a lot of that in the beginning. But there was a time that I remember and there was a guy who was a rival of uh, the different gangs that were in the first group. And he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything to anybody. And this went on for days, if not weeks, didn't say anything to anybody. And we had a team building competition where we're paired with people from different 
organizations than you are. And I remember we all came back in after that activity. And I remember him sitting off to the door and everyone's in there hoorahing about the competition. And then he just stands up and he looks at everybody. He's like, man, I love y'all, man. And it was just that moment that we realized that it was bigger than us. It was bigger than true colors. It was bigger than gang. That mental transformation that he had, anyone can have, whether if it's in any city or any place in the world that has gone through what our city has gone through. And that was a time that really changed our perception as a whole. We're on the other side of that question with all these people coming to this room and trying to decide whether to trust or not. Were there any moments that where it almost all fell apart? Oh, man. Yeah. So, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, you get this white guy who reaches out the gang task force to get in contact with gang leaders to start a business. I mean, sounds like a setup to me, right? So you've had different people in the community that have talked about true colors here and there, about it not being police or whatever, whatever. Yeah, there was a moment where we almost fell apart. We actually had the feds run into our building one time. And that's one of the craziest things that I've seen. I remember we were all sitting in the conference room doing our work. And one of the guys comes to our conference room. He's like, man, hey, man, y'all be on point. The feds back there in an unmarked truck, plain clothes on. We all look at each other. We like, whoever they looking for good or whatever. We went back to work. So a few minutes go by. Next thing you know, we see these big wrestler type dudes come in with vests on, with the chain on, like bad boys too walk in and everybody's heart just froze on ice at that moment. Like just looking at them come in because we're like, what are they doing here? So they walk in and they walk past our conference room and it's like five guys in there working with us. And then they walk back behind and everybody's like, where are they going to stop at? So they point to our room, come over and open the door. Big dude looks up and says, you know, Victor Dorm, step up and come with us. And like at that moment, it's like my heart just dropped to the floor because VI, as we call him, that's he's been a childhood friend to us. He grew up on the north side with me as well. And they came in and got him. So apparently you know, he had some indictments and they came and got him at work to serve him for him. And he ended up getting like 20 plus years. That must have been really tense. Oh, man, tense and hurtful because not only was he a part of our mission, but he was a very influential part of our mission. And I've known him for most of my entire life. And True Colors was the first time he had an opportunity to really showcase his leadership in a positive direction. And I really wish that he would have had an opportunity to keep that in and continue to be a leader in the community and that true colors but all hope is not lost for him and he'll be free one day soon free vi so after that happened did you guys have to retrench a little bit or was that were you able to still keep the momentum going since that was such a critical moment for the community yeah that was a crazy moment very crazy moment for the community, for True Colors. Nobody knew what was going on, what happened. Yeah, so that was a trying time that it could have all fell apart. But the ultimate mission and goal is to bring peace to our community and to create and build on unity amongst us. And that's what we continue to strive for. 
So Blanc, let's talk a little bit about the beer business. How did that brewery thing get organized? I mean, there's a lot that goes into running any business, including a brewery. How did you and your team come together to learn all the skill sets necessary to do that? We've been very fortunate to have a CEO like Kurt Taylor and also George Taylor, and they have connections to the beer industry through their formal business. And Untapped is the largest social media for beer. So they're familiar with different locations and also different a variety of different styles and just different concepts. So their knowledge of the beer industry paired with us helped them build a six-week startup program that taught us about beer, how to brew, marketing, sales, finance. And that's really just catapulted our learning curve so where we can grasp things a lot quicker. I was going to say, I'll bet the more you learned, the more you wanted to learn because it got really interesting. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I'm going to be honest, my first time trying craft beer was not a good experience, but <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot better over time. That's how it works with anything, really. So you guys had a six-week, the original 13, you guys had this six-week crash course. So now that you're a little more established and in a steady state, how do you bring new people in? And what happens to that person when they come in, like a new recruiter, or a new employee? And how do they change during that process? So the standard is set. We have a standard that we set. And that's, for one, do what you say you're going to do, be on time, and inject positivity. I mean, those are three core rules that we follow. They're simple but they mean so much and can contribute so much. So when we come through, we go through our six-week startup course. And at the end of our startup course, we have our initiation. And once you have your initiation, you're a part of the team. From fighter pilots to base jumpers to neurosurgeons. Or, you know, the rest of us nine-to-five hustlers. Everyone needs a bold morning jumpstart or a robust afternoon pick-me-up from a slow, steeped Dunkin' cold brew. Whether looking straight down the face of a thousand-foot cliff or staring wide-eyed into a baffling computer spreadsheet, we all need the same thing. So whatever your pursuit, start with a Dunkin' cold brew. So uh, tell us a little bit about that initiation. It's pretty interesting. It's crazy because people who aren't a part of the gang community, you all, it's like an urban legend for initiations and all of these different things. So as part of the company, we have an initiation to join the company. And by far, it's one of the craziest things I've ever been a part of. So you jump out of an airplane, <laughs> what is it, 13,000 feet in the air? <laughs> I mean, most of these guys have never been in a plane so they can say that their first time being in a plane they jumped out of it so, i mean not, not too many people can say that no but, yeah but you know i would imagine that there's some real symbolism there talk to us about that oh yeah definitely man like most of the people and this isn't even an organized conversation amongst all of us but everyone says that it's kind of like you're leaving everything on the ground and then you're just jumping out on faith and landing into a new life of opportunity. And that's what it really feels like. 
you just conquered one of the craziest things in your life. What else can stop? Yeah, you can't do it without trust. And you got to trust in that parachute and that guy who's in the parachute with you. Oh, yeah. You got to trust them. And, man, they get crazy because the guy I had was getting in my head a little bit, man. He was <laughs> telling me my strap was loose. And then, <laughs> then he was like, I don't know about this shoe that's old. I'm like, oh, my God. But they just mess with you a little. That makes it a little more memorable, I guess. <laughs> I'll never forget that. So as people go through this initiation and you get that, so wow, I could pretty much do anything because I just jumped out of an airplane. And as the communities come together around True Colors, has it changed, just to divert a minute from the brewery, we want to get back to that, but has it changed how the community is working in general? Is it reducing the gun violence? Is it helping people work through problems in different ways just in the general community as a result of this project? Definitely, man. I mean, there's so many different incidents and situations that we've been able to stop before it got bigger than what it could have been because of that communication. So if something happens on the streets, we now have communication between these different rival organizations that we can get down to the bottom of it before it gets bigger and blows out to something that we don't want. And I imagine that this is an opportunity that some of the younger people in the community can look up to and see a path to that were before when you were that age, you didn't have that. Is that working, that dynamic working? Definitely, because it gives a different perspective to the youth that I don't have to sell drugs in order to be respected in my community. And also, I don't have to inflict violence to be respected amongst my gang. And those two are the biggest things that we want to contribute in our community. So as we're recording this, Blanc, the nation has just been through this very traumatic event, the Derek Chauvin trial in Minnesota. Has the Two Colors effort changed the community's relationship with law enforcement? I mean, how are they looking at this? Yeah, even before the Derek Chauvin trial, there has been opportunities where the guys at True Colors have cross paths with people in law enforcement. And I think that it's been healthy because... If you think about it, the only times that a person on the streets or a gang member, the opportunity they have to speak with a person in law enforcement is in during the heat of a crime or suspicion of a crime or being questioned for a crime. So it's not a real nice opportunity to have a good conversation. So we've actually had a time where the ADAs were on a tour and they came by True Colors and the district attorney and his ADAs came by for a visit and some of the guys were there. And they've had an opportunity to talk about some of the, those instances in the community and had an impact on the district attorney. So I think that just increasing the opportunities for dialogue across these different barriers that don't really have times to be crossed or chances to be crossed a lot, will continue to improve those efforts so that we can have an impact on situations like that. So True Colors is turning out not just to be a, an awesome brewery undertaking, but also kind of a center of the community for you guys. Because I know Sandy's nonprofit, for example, his SAFE project, which is working with reducing drug overdoses in the country, is in the process of partnering with True Colors. And so there's, is that another example of how you guys can help your community? Oh, yeah, definitely. We would love to be a part of that. Anything that can help make our community better, we're all for it. So George told me a couple of things when we first met that really stood out to me. First, he said that he discovered in the, these initial meetings that the gang leaders are like other leaders. They're creative, they're charismatic, they've got ideas, they care for their people. How would you describe the gang leaders you've known? Do they fit that model? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, just creative, uh, very intelligent leaders. The sky's the limit for these guys, man. And through this opportunity, they can really showcase their talent and skills so that they can continue to push them. And I'm just so proud of these guys for taking this opportunity. And I'm just so proud of how serious they are about this opportunity. And I just can't wait to see where it takes them. Yeah, the second thing that George had mentioned is how amazing it is to see when you have a group of people who their only hope in growing up is being a famous athlete or a gang leader. And here comes this other opportunity that, hey, you could actually do something in business. So that expanding horizons immediately. And was that, as you had that initial conversation with George, was that what was sort of in your head? It's like, oh, this is a, a chance to expand horizons in a new way. Is that why you leaped at it the way you did? Most Definitely. And I'm so glad that you brought that up because it's no secret that these guys, majority of them grew up without a father and our fathers aren't in our lives mainly due to prison sentences, being incarcerated or for other reasons as well. And I was thinking about this the other day. Most people follow the path. Most sons follow the path of their father. So if they don't have their fathers in the house directing them to be, you know, whatever trade, a carpenter, electrician, or things like that, you know, what's that next level of influence for them? And for many of us, it's the streets and it's entertainment. So that's how so many young kids get caught up into that lifestyle by trying to follow behind their favorite rapper because they didn't have that type of influence in their household or following behind that guy on the streets that's got this wad of cash. You know, I want to be like him. So True Colors gives an alternative to that to say, hey, man, I'm a leader in my community and I have respect in my community and I don't have to do anything where I have to look over my back or my shoulder to be who I am. Yeah. And you know, it's hard to imagine a path for your future if you don't know that it exists even as a thing. And if you don't see that in your normal environment, how would you even know, hey, I could own a business. So I totally get that. So when I talk about True Colors, this amazing project to friends of mine who live in other cities, it's almost like they're jealous. It's like, (laughs) hey, how come we can't have that? So even though you can't build a brewery in every city, it is a model. Is it something you think that could be exported to other cities or was it so special, so unique, so fragile? Could have gone either way that it would be hard to recreate elsewhere? Man, I think that this can work anywhere because the problem is very similar. We're talking about an economic issue and we're also talking about an economic way to solve it. And I just think that there's so much opportunity for True Colors to impact other environments outside of Wilmington by following that model. So what have you personally learned about leadership along the way? And what have you done to branch out now that you've been through the initial cadre of, of the True Color group? Yeah. So I actually came back to True Colors recently, but I left to start my own marketing agency and started doing speaking engagements as well. And one thing that I've learned about leadership is leadership is not always loud. Leadership is not always being in the front. Leadership is not always getting attention. Sometimes leadership is helping others become leaders or helping others push the pack. And I just love the quote by Nelson Mandela, how he talks about a leader is letting other people think that they're leading in the front. And I just really feel that That's what leadership is about. And I didn't always have that mindset. But I came back to True Colors because I believe in decreasing gang violence. It aligns with everything that I stand for. And 
I just love being a part of having a positive impact on gangs and creating a better community. So, you know, there are a lot of people out there who have this impression, this stereotype of minorities growing up in poor neighborhoods. And can you see this as a way of proving that stereotype wrong? These neighborhoods are made up of people who, if you give them the right opportunity and you have the right kind of center of gravity, the right sort of kernel that a true colors or something can provide, that they'll seize on that and make something out of it. Uh, that if you just give these people a, an opportunity and, and a sort of a way of operationalizing it, that they'll they'll do something with it. Exactly, man. I agree 100%. And when we talk about opportunity and we say everyone gets a fair shot, everyone has the same opportunity, I disagree. There are certain things that these kids deal with and go through in a household in these areas and neighborhoods that a lot of kids don't have to go through. And that's a good thing. But those are things that help you stay focused. I mean, think about the kid that lives in a neighborhood where gunshots are fired every single night. How does that kid stay focused in school and worry about two plus two when he's thinking about, is he going to live two weeks? So those are the types of things that are on the mind of these young kids and it shouldn't be. So I got to give you a chance to talk about your beer. Where is it going to roll out? Because people listening to this may want to go give it a shot, give it a try. Definitely, man. So we're excited and pumped. We're looking at a around July 4th, and we're going to initially distribute in North Carolina. Then we're going to make our way to Virginia. And uh, we're just excited to get our message out and finally get our beers to the people and supporters. So what's next for you guys after the rollout? Or do you have another type of beer you're going to brew? Or are you going to try different batches? Or are you going to expand? What's the next step for the brewery? Yeah, so our brewers are like real secretive. Like they have their <laughs> own little like click. <laughs> and they don't really like keep us in on all of their stuff. They just come out with these batches like, try it. What do you think? <laughs> So I guess y'all will have to wait just like me to know that answer. But um, we're really behind the true light. And uh, that's the one that we're focused on right now. Well, that's great. I'm definitely going to look for it in Virginia later this year and give it a taste. Appreciate that. Definitely. It's very, you know, brewing, it's very creative. So everyone has a chance. To, before we sign off, I just a, a quick question. So after jumping out of an airplane, that, that's a certain amount of confidence. After getting enmeshed in this business and understanding how that all works, have a lot of people sort of said, hey, I'm ready to try something new and branched off and did their own thing? Or do most people kind of stay with the brewery and continue that work? Brewery just stands for so much and aligns with so many of us. I mean, any type of creative idea we have, we can pretty much put it into the brewery to build it. And most of us own stock options in the brewery. So most of us pretty much stay inside the brewery. That makes sense. I got to tell you that when I first heard this story a few months ago, it really captured me. And I got to thank you so much for spending time with our listeners today with us. Thanks for your incredible courage in stepping into the role you're playing. Thanks for an amazing, uplifting, and candidly very humbling for us discussion. Good luck with the rollout at True Light this summer. And more importantly, really best wishes on that important mission you and your brothers and sisters have undertaken to lift up the community of Wilmington. It's an inspiration. We really appreciate it so much. Thank you all for having me. It's been a pleasure and really looking forward to you guys trying our beer, man. We can't wait. I want to come down and visit. <laughs> You're welcome anytime. Yeah, I really, I just can't echo Sandy's comments enough. You guys are so amazing and inspirational and it's awesome. Thank you. Our guest has been Blanco, who is one of the leaders of the True Colors Brewery in Wilmington, North Carolina. 
Check them out at truecolors.com. That's T-R-U colors.com. I'm Sandra Magnus. And I'm Sandy Winnefeld. Many thanks to our sponsor, Duncan. Duncan fuels the people who take on every challenge head first. And we know the right kind of fuel they need. An ultra smooth Duncan cold brew. Join us back in the adrenaline zone next week for a new episode. If you like our show, be sure to follow us and write a review and tell your friends about us. And if you have a suggestion for an adrenaline seeker we might want to interview, visit our website at theadrenalinezone.com.